Hello and welcome to the 59th episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This is another bonus compilation episode where we're looking back at the many answers for what scares you about our AI-mediated future. We hear from past interviewees Kate Devlin, Alan Winfield, Maria Slokovic, Kenneth Bowles, Carissa Velez, Mercedes Bunce, Dylan Doyle-Burke, Luciano Floridi and Julian Musbridge. Some of the topics that get covered include gender imbalance and lack of diversity in AI, digital personhood, climate change, ubiquitous surveillance, deep fakes, people misusing AI and human hubris, and of course capitalism getting in the way. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go to machine-ethics.net. You can contact us at hello at machine-ethics.net. You can follow us on Twitter, machine underscore ethics, or on Instagram, a machine ethics podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. So let's begin by asking what scares you about our AI mediated future? In terms of the scary things, there are a couple of things that really worry me. Uh, privacy and security is definitely an issue. I think the one piece of AI that terrifies me the most at the moment is deep fakes. And I just worry so much about the level of manipulation that's now possible. Not in terms of you know, that we can't outdo it, because we, you know, we, we, we see this and it's really easily accessible so anyone can, can really get their hands on deep fakes and play around with them. Every time we write a tool for detecting it, it gets surpassed. You know, there's this kind of race on to try and detect it. It's not so much even that. It's the fact that once the genie's out of the bottle, once the stuff has gone online, then it's really hard to kill. So uh, we can look at stuff that's happened just in the past few weeks. Um, you know, things that are on Facebook that, that, that are very clearly doctored. And we think, why is that still up there? And you're going to say, no, it doesn't mess with our, you know, it doesn't meet our or problem standards, you know. I think that is really, really scary. The fact that we can't, we used to be able to say, oh, we've seen the video, we've seen the evidence. No, we don't know unless we're standing in the same room as someone at the same time. And it's a bit like revenge porn. You know, the damage is done once it's out there, you can't really undo it. So that frightens me a lot, actually. And, you know, I, as I said, I'm a tech optimist, but actually one of the, one of the other things is, is the lack of inclusivity in tech. And that it's not just things like the bias and algorithms that we're all very, very worried about at the moment. So everyone's very worried about bias and algorithms. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's worrying. But I'm also worried about the people who don't have access to tech because all that data is being collected from people who are tech users. And yet we've still got large swathes of the population who aren't using the gadgets, who aren't online, who, you know, there's like 90% of UK households are online. What about the people who aren't? What about the people who are never feeding into our data sets? They are completely unrepresented. And I just think that's a travesty. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the UK. That's know, just the UK. That's just yeah. the UK. That's not you yeah. know, the wider. No, it doesn't even you know doesn't even go uh, across the the whole world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we are really seeing a class divide in technology that frightens me a lot. The uh, extraordinary gender imbalance uh, in robotics and AI. That it, it's simply a fact that most of our uh, robotics and AI systems are invented, um, are envisioned. Um, and designed by men, uh, often youngish, uh, white, Western men. Um, and that means effectively that, that, you know, half the world's population, the, you know, the women in the world, um, are not, you know, their values are not reflected. I mean, I'm not saying that, of course, women and men have radically different values, but nevertheless, unconsciously, uh, even, you know, 
um, with the best uh, of, of intentions, uh, males tend to envision uh, a, a male view of the world, yep. and those values uh, are embedded uh, even implicitly in their products. So I think that we need, you know, we really need uh, to work extraordinarily hard to uh, increase the number of women uh, in AI and and robotics. Um, ideally, to you know, so to, to so that it, it's you know the, the situation is gender balanced, mm. and of course we also need um, senior women who are, if you like, you know, driving the the vision uh, of of the kind of of AI uh, uh, and robotic systems that, that we want in in our future. I think that's really important. Something I feel very strongly about. Everybody focuses on drivers, cars and robots because we can see them and nobody is looking at, well, nobody I means not true, but people are not quite panicky enough about uh, the fact that what is shown to you in day out on the Internet is decided by uh, looking at uh, what I call a voodoo doll of you. So this is a datafication of your personhood that incorporates various bits of behavior that you have exhibited online and then it's all mushed together into your category of this is the type of person you are and then what is shown to you online or through your apps mm -hmm. is based on this voodoo doll of you that you have no control over in yeah. a way and yeah. this worries me i i like autonomy and i like that i know i create the world that i see around me not that some some kind of a that decision of what is presented to me is based on what some algorithm thinks what type of a person i am and even though if i really so facebook currently thinks i'm an established adult i take great offense at that i mean i i want to be an unestablished adult or something <laughs> else imagine you want to change your life and it's very difficult if you know all that you're shown is this established adult things mm -hmm. right so this this is the things that 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 worry me that we have to pay a bit more attention to. The thing that scares me is, um, is actually I think the the thing that scares or should scare humanity the most, which is climate change. There is a far larger intersection between the tech industry and climate change than technologists claim or like to believe. We're living now in an increasingly hybridized world of physical and digital coming together. If you just ask Volkswagen, um, you know, what happened with their emission scandal, that was a software hack. There are, you know, however many tons of CO2 now in the atmosphere because of those emissions were cheated, thanks to a software engineer who decided to do that. And I have a huge amount of respect for the emotional resilience of people working in the field of climate change because, oh, you know, the news there is not good. Uh, let's put it that way. You know, the dystopias are real mm -hmm. there for sure. Mm -hmm. And unless we take drastic action pretty damn soon, then we will be seeing essentially some kind of human die-off at some point in the, in the next 10, maybe not 10, but you know, 20 to 50 years yep. to 100 years. And that terrifies me. And I think as technologists, it behooves us to consider our roles within that and to try to take that drastic action because sadly it's not being taken um, mm. and anything like the scale that it should be. What scares me is that I can see that we're building the perfect architecture for the perfect totalitarian state, a totalitarian state that cannot be challenged because as soon as you start to even think about organizing or rebelling against it, they know it before even you do maybe, and they squash it. 
So we are in a very dangerous moment in which if we continue to walk in this direction, we will end up with a very scary circumstance in which an authoritarian regime can take over and be extremely powerful, more powerful than anything we've seen in the past by far. I think um, there's more uh, general aspect that scares me is that people uh, seem to be very suspicious of it and they don't want to engage with it. So there's this tendency by the general audience to uh, rather discuss if there will be a super AI ruling us all than actually being willing to understand, okay, there's this technology that's coming into my everyday life. How does it actually work? You know, so rather we have this big, huge ethical discussions if um, the whole world will be turned into a paperclip um, and the AI cannot be stopped, um, which is one example by Bostrom, who discusses the superintelligence. But we don't have a lot of discussions about, um, yeah, what does this mean for everyday life and for my decisions in everyday life? Uh, for example, yeah, what language is supported, what isn't supported when you text stuff in uh, and so on. So that's the, the aspect that scares me because I think, um, well, if we see how digital technology has developed with social media, it wasn't always for the best. And now that we have the new technology, uh, which is a big, big step in another direction because it can um, analyze and calculate meeting, meaning, and it's, but it's, there's a big difficulty in analyzing meaning and no we need to really understand where does a machine learning program have difficulties in analyzing meaning and where is it strong mm -hmm. to be to understand how to work with it and we're not very interested in um, doing our homework we want to be served and, but then <laughs> we are very miffed that uh, we are being dominated by it mm -hmm. so yeah the human scares me most in this i think what scares me and what excites me is the potential. So I think the potential of this technology, uh, whether it's just applied statistics or whether it's, you know, the eventual singularity, um, I think is incredibly exciting. Like, I, I think the possibility to make our world a better place for people is, um, and maybe also for robots, is, is I think, wonderful. And I think really um, almost overwhelming in just the raw possibility um, that, that we've been seeing as the technology has evolved so quickly in such a short amount of time. Um, and I think that the scariest part is, is the possibility. I mean, like when you look at facial recognition tech, when you look at um, what happens when you have a bunch of well-intentioned people who are not necessarily looking at their context and then uh, the technology ends up, uh, you know, uh, and I'm thinking about the ProPublica Pro uh, article about, uh, analyzing recidivism rates, right? And how um, it's it was so racially biased. Um, there are just ways when this technology, when it becomes unchecked, I mean, it's still powerful, right? It's like powerful tool, um, but just like any other tool, it can be terrifying how you use it. Like I can use, you know, a, a, an ax to chop a piece of wood and be able to heat my house for my family and I can use it to kill someone. Um, and I think that it's important for us to not treat this technology, I guess, any different, even if it's a, it might be, it might be a little different, it might even be more powerful in certain ways, mm -hmm. at least in terms of scope. Um, but that potential and that possibility to impact the world is, um, I think, so exciting and so amazing in theory. But in practice, as you said earlier, it's a question of what do we do with it? 
do we make the world a better place or do we not? <laughs> I fear that uh, we will keep missing this amazing opportunity, for example, in terms of inequality. As a very small mm. amount, number of people will uh, sort of take so much advantage of these technologies when many others will probably either suffer or not touched by it financially or in terms of uh, uh, well-being, welfare, etc. Or imagine in terms of uh, um, covering corners of the world, not in terms of AI and our life, that are not commercially interesting. I mean, there are things that uh, we should be doing as a society uh, that are not interesting for, for a business. Um, and yet, uh, we know that society should invest there. If we keep leaving the development of AI uh, to market forces, it, this is not wrong. It's only partially okay because there's a, a whole world out there that also needs to cover. The example here is a typical case uh, by analogy of a rare disease. A rare disease problem uh, is not something that is commercially interesting, that only few people suffer from it. Mm. And yet, now, do we want to have, as a society, people suffering because uh, there's not enough commercial interest? Of course not. That's why we cover it with other means. That's where society is, is important. So to me, the socio-political will to take full advantage of uh, uh, the digital at large and AI in particular, that's crucial. Are we getting there? I hope so. I mean, and there are good signs. No, uh, but if I have to express any fear, is the fear of missing the opportunity. A way to create um, some kind of culture that's sort of outsources our, <laughs> outsources our knowledge about and wisdom about how to be compassionate with each other and unconditionally loving to a platform that can survive um, generations of violence and that then can help reparent us into connection with each other and actually teach us more than we knew before about that. Mm -hmm. So that's what excites me. What scares me is um, the hubris that um, that kind of thought uh, entails. So <laughs> I mean, my own hubris, my, the hubris of the people who um, think that AI will be like a savior, that's, um, of course, a scary thought, just like thinking mm -hmm. any human being would be like that. You just... What, what do, never works is to think that one thing is going to be the answer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that kind of hubris always leads to just disaster. So I want to make sure that, that at least when I'm working on it, it's clear that um, this would be maybe a part of the solution, but um, there is no one solution and, and the human condition as it is, is beautiful and um, can potentially be improved, but does not have to be improved for us to appreciate who we are and, and how we are. Hi, and welcome to the end of the podcast. Thanks again for listening. And thank you for all our interviewees. Really, really exciting. And I hope you will look forward to our next compilation, which will be about all the great things, all the exciting, good things about AI as well. Obviously, we need some balance here. The last bonus episode we did, which was, what is AI? Go check that out. On that episode, we also did a shout out to other similar podcasts you should check out. This episode, if you want to go check out the things that I've been doing, you can go to benbyford.com. Also check out ethicalby.design for our consultancy. And you can also check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. There's a variety of posts on the Patreon, of which some are book reviews, and one of the lengthy articles that I wrote was a review of the myth of AI, which actually will be coming out in the journal Prometheus, Critical Studies and Innovation, probably towards the end of the year. So go check that out as well if you have time. 
If you're interested in any of the books that I've read or can recommend, you can go to uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash machine ethics for my compiled list or some of the things I've got on my bookcase, some of the things incoming or just some things that I'm yet to read and I would love to get my hands on. If you have a, a book recommendation, please get in contact as well. And lastly, if you would like to get involved with the Machine Ethics podcast, we've had guest interviewers before, and we would love to hear from you and who you would like to interview and what kind of questions you would give them. That would be incredibly useful and exciting for us all. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll speak to you next time.